Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Janice Tunnell, for today, Sunday, August 6th. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in, and thank you guys for supporting us um, continuously. We've had an interesting summer, so we are glad to be back, and we are excited about tonight's guest. So uh, sit back, and I'm going to turn it over to Denise so that she can greet you guys as well. Good evening, everybody. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. I had some beauty news, but I misplaced um, one thing that I wanted to talk about. Maybe I can get it on before the end of the show. Uh, If not, we can get it on next week. But I do want to let you guys know that Friends Beauty is sponsoring a show at their location in North Hollywood, Foam Latex Edge Blending and Skin Tone Matching Class, taught by Diab Prosthetics owner and creators Cat Passion and Nico Gonzalez, and that takes place Wednesday, August 16th from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., and the cost of this class is only $25. Again, the cost of this class is only $25. It's redeemable in DAP prosthetic products only on the, of the class. Again, it's August 16th. So to reserve your seat, you can email orders at friendsbeauty.com. Again, orders at friendsbeauty.com to reserve your seat. And, again, the class will be held at Friends Beauty at 5244 Laurel Canyon Boulevard in North Hollywood. All right. Thank you for that. And without further ado, we're going to bring on our guest tonight. She is a hairstylist and hair designer for Field and TV. We have Miss Andrea Mona Bowman. We just like to call her Mona. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so happy and excited to have you. Um, so we're just going to jump straight in, okay? Is that all right with you? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've had a long day. I know you had. We're just going to jump right in um, and get started. Um, first, I just want to remind everyone who's out there listening, if you have a comment or a question for tonight's guest or for one of us, please give us a call at 914-803-4399. Again, it's 914-803-4399. For those of you who are out on Twitter following our tweet chat, uh, use the hashtag BeautyTalk, and Denise is out there. So if you have a question or comment that you'd like to get on, um, she's out there um, 
facilitating that. So, again, it's hashtag Beauty Talk. And the phone lines are lighting up, so let's get let's just jump right in. Um, Mona, I I know you. I know a little bit about you. I read a <laughs> yes. I read an article. I read an article um, where you tell an interesting story about how you got started doing hair, and then also how you got started um, working in film and TV. Can you share that uh, that journey with us and tell us a little bit yes. about? you know, where you're from and all of that. Yes, um, I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana, born and raised. I'm based in Atlanta. I've been here um, for six years now. And um, I'm a 29-year hairstylist professionally and 16 years in TV and film. And, yeah, I started kind of special. I um started doing hair. Actually, my first haircut was in the seventh grade. I had um, a cousin got a horrible haircut from a hairstylist, and she came home crying because she wanted that old school salt and pepper stack back in the day, and the lady didn't (laughs) give her a stack. She gave her a chili bowl. So when she came home, she was very (laughs) upset, and for some reason, I just could see it once she showed me the picture, and I told her, I said, I'll fix it. You just let me fix it. I got some of those old school orange handle uh, scissors, stacked it out, curled it, and it was it, it turned into a whole career after that because of that one haircut led to me cutting my sister's hair, which my sister ended up working at this truck stop, and a lady seen it that was coming through from California asked me to cut her hair, and that's when my journey as far as doing hair started because my mom allowed me to practice, I would say, uh, art that I hadn't been trained, but it was just a natural gift of being able, you know, I'm a real artist. I can draw and paint and all that stuff at that point. So I took it from off paper and actually put it into somebody's hair. And the rest is history. I ended up um, getting into TV and film because of Hurricane Katrina. I was probably like, 15 years in the salon situation at that point, and Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. And, you know, Louisiana was the first, quote, unquote, Hollywood South. So when Katrina hit, we had the biggest incentive, so they didn't want to leave out of the state. They wanted to be able to still get that money. So they came up to my little city, Shreveport, and I ended up meeting a young lady at my, I mean, a young guy at my pastor's house, but his sister-in-law was an extra, and she invited the department head of the hair department on the show she was day playing on, and he came over, and he was talking to my pastor, and it's like, yeah, I need some locals, and and he was like, I got one of the baddest hairstylists that do everybody in the city go to my church, and he was like, well, can you come and uh, let me meet her, and I was like, okay, and I started not to go because we had sunrise <laughs> service on that Easter Sunday, and I was tired. But right. we always go to my pastor's house. But this particular Sunday, I just was not with it. But I am a mother of three sons, and that particular Sunday, I was going to tell us a little white lie and go home. But my son heard me when I got off the phone, and I'm a mother that practiced with she preached. And I hung up the phone, and I was like, I'm not going up to pastor's house. I'm tired. And my son said, oh, mom. Don't you know, aren't you the one that always says that you never know about an opportunity? And so now I was forced to go, and 
look at God, because 16 years later from that <laughs> meeting, talking to one of the gatekeepers of hair uh, in the hair industry, Mr. Ken Walker, bless his heart, um, bless his soul, because he's passed away a few years ago. But he was the person that I spoke with, and he told me he was going to give me a chance of a lifetime, and he did, and I honor him in everything I do because he didn't have to take a chance. He didn't know if I could cut. He didn't know. He just went off my word that I would give what I gave. And 16 years later, here it is. And the movie that he gave me an opportunity on was The Great Debater. And, yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow <laughs> is what I'm going to say to that. Well, you know, throughout tonight's conversation, I'm going to um, throw out a couple of your projects. And I would just simply like you to just, you know, talk about the position that you held, um, talk about the looks um, that mm-hmm. you created, and just give us a little idea of what each journey was like on the, that particular project. Um, cool. I'll, I'll just start off right now with, um, let's talk a little bit about Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lovecraft Country. What can I say, Jesus? The size. <laughs> that uh, that was one of the hardest shows I ever did in my career. And I thought The Great Debaters was my hardest one because it was my first. But that one was really hard because of the so many moving parts. We had three units going plus a special effects unit plus fittings all going on at the same time for almost nine months. And some of the looks that I created, um, if you are familiar with the show, um, Anjanu Ellis plays um, the wife of, um, I mean, the mother of the young man, of, oh, God, I forgot his name, of Tick. And Anjanu's character had this dream sequence in episode four where she went from this um, beautiful young lady that went into her dreams uh, of being a dancer where she met Josephine Baker and all these different historical people. And these particular hairstyles were very strategic that the director wanted to play into the time of actually the show was based in 1956, but she went back to the 20s in this particular um, piece of that same episode. Then she jumped to the 1800s in Africa that I had to design a look, and then she went to this space look, which we wanted to keep it kind of in the time period that it went a little bit further up, so it was based in the 60s, but yet still, uh, what the director say, she wanted it more um, to look like it was advanced, but not so far out of the period. And each one of those looks, I had to create the main actor, then I had to do her double, then I had to do her dance double, and then I had to do her body double. So I had to make at least three to four weeks of each one of those looks that I just said about that one episode, which we had ten. So you see how, yeah, it was it was very creative. I was very grateful to be able to explore because the um, director and the writer gave us that range to be able to get. But my heart desire is always the authenticity of a period. So 1956, if you go back and look at it, you see the structure of those looks completely, even in the dream sequences. Now that you've said that, 
talk, talk to us about the importance of getting those periods right and then also the importance of continuity um, on a show. Yes. Yes. It is very, 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 especially for me, I research, and when I tell you I research, I research. I probably, I shut down three phones with research. That's how much I research, even just for one particular period, is because when you're a storyteller, for me, I don't want you to be so caught up in looking at the hair. I want you to be able to not even notice the hair because it's so realistic. A lot of times people pay attention to the defects of things, but when it's done seamless and it looks the period, it blurs right into and where you can see the character come totally to life. And continuity-wise, especially I try to tell my students or people that I mentor as well, being able to create something artistically, because a lot of times people don't get that we only have between 30 minutes or less to create all these beautiful looks, and then we have to keep right. up with it for those 12 weeks sometimes, two weeks, sometimes two days, sometimes one day. But it's very important right. that you have to be able to know what you did, how you did it, and being able to recreate it and then under the same amount of time frame every day to be able to make sure production is still flowing and that the looks are not compromised. Right. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about what inspires your work in film and TV. I have been, my mom said she was not shocked that I was, I ended up being in TV and film behind or in front mm -hmm. of the camera because she said I was already looped in at three years old. I was performing, dancing, <laughs> being in plays and just very creative as a child. So for me, it's very important because you know, watching, being a, a watcher of TV and film really intensely, it made me just a natural once I got introduced to it. And it's so important because I hate when people do goofy stuff if it's not intentional to be goofy or if it's ugly or it don't fit and it makes you be like, hmm, what is that versus you just your brain being able to focus and flow with the story or the concept or the actual picture of it. You feel what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So, so for me, it's very important that um, even when I'm teaching or when I'm um, helping others to really have that passion, because a friend girl of mine said when I went to the Oscar contender thing and she was like, and I was telling her my concerns of now how a lot of times I don't feel like people really put their interest or their best foot forward into the wig styling or even applications. And she said, Mona, it's a difference. Most of these people are either makeup artists or just hairstylists. They're not filmmakers. You're a filmmaker. That's you right. want to see this particular look come to life. And when you're a filmmaker and you have a heart or an eye of a filmmaker, you can see the difference versus just somebody that just does hair or just does makeup. You're absolutely you know? right. You're absolutely right. She hit it on the head. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a big difference. So let me ask Major. you, when it comes to hair, what are you good at and then what are you great at? Well, um, I would say I'm, um, um, <laughs> I've lost the words. Well, I would say <laughs> I'm good at 
I'm good at execution and timing, and I'm great at um, I'm great at keeping up with continuity and repeat repetitive. You know, making it repetitive. I can see something three weeks from now, and I can repeat it over and over, over again. Six months later, once I see a picture, I have a photographic memory. So I would take that as my great and my good. <laughs> Gotcha. Nice. So what what, is, what has been your most, I would say, challenging assignment on set? Uh, challenging assignment on set. Um, it, it varies. Um, I've had quite a bit of things because sometimes I've been left on set where I had to cover uh, 30 people by myself, if not more. I've had times where I didn't have the right amount of um, proper hairstylist in situations. I was in um, actually the film census, and we were in an mm-hmm. area that didn't have a lot of African-American hairstylists in the union, and it's a not-to-right-to-work uh, not a, a, a right state, so I wasn't able mm-hmm. to bring people in that I needed, and I had to do literally almost everybody every day, almost that whole entire film. So, yeah, wow. I think that was the most challenging, yeah, because uh, the latest that we had, they just wasn't really strong or really new textured hair. And since this mm-hmm. was an African-American-based film, which I would say 98% of it was African-American hair. And I remember one of the young ladies that was there helping us, and she said, Mona, I'm so sorry. I just don't know. And that in that year, that's when I started putting classes together and started really those that work with me wanting to try to teach them how to at least be able to do a basic hairstyle in certain time periods so they can have something in their arsenal to be able to help a team, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So you, now, now you list that as being challenging, but you know you can do it because I've seen you. You can do all 30 of those people by yourself. You know that. I have done it and done more than that. And yeah, I don't like to though. It's a challenge, but in order to make sure that the film go on, I, I get in there and make it work because time is a thing that I teach because a lot of times people take their time and I tell people all the time, any given hairstylist can do a basic hairstyle. You give them three, three hours, they can do a great hairstyle. But in TV and film, I need hairstylists that can do those great hairstyles in that little amount of time that we're related. And that's what makes you, that that's what you know takes you separate you from the others. And I took made myself a committee of one, and that's what I do because I am very, I'm very hard on myself about detail, and I just want to make sure that whatever we put in front of that little screen, it it represents us well. Right. Right. Now I consider you a great hairstylist. What do you think are some qualities that makes one a great hair film and TV? One that is that can can create in a in a good amount of time. One that researches really well. One that practices their craft on a regular basis, if you're working or not. One that is a team player and have a great personality. And the last but not least, that is the most important to me. A hairstylist that listen, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was waiting for that you to follow, say that. 
that follow instructions. Because if I ask you for 752 and 3, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I promise you, before you got the set, I've talked to the director, I know what they need, and I don't have time to go back and explain to you why 7 jumped to 52 and then it jumped back to 3. I just need you to do 7, 53, and 3 because that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times mm-hmm. people say, oh, I'll fix it and do this because it's going to be a little bit cuter. But that's not what we needed because now when I told you to put the ponytail on the left side, because I knew from the meeting that we had, the production meeting we had, but you go and put it on the left side, now her ponytail is in front of the camera and you can't see this actress' face. And there's going to be a problem. Yeah. And once it stops, I have to continue to keep it like that because continuity. So I love hairstylists that is able to listen and follow instruction. Yeah. That's important in this business. Yep. That's so what makes it. Those things that I listed, those will make a great hairstylist in TV and film. If they just apply those things, that will make them set themselves apart from the regulars. So you, you just mentioned research, and, I, and we talked about it a little bit earlier. Can you tell me as a department head, and even, you know, because you work sometimes as a key as well, and I know that's a big mm-hmm. part of of what you do when you start a show is research. So can you tell me what your approach is to research, how you go about it? Yes, once I get the script, um, I go and I break it down, and I see what time period it is, uh, or their laborers, or their people that have more money or uh, African-American or what descent they're from or male, female. I break all those things down from reading the script. And once I know those basic, as we're talking about research for time period, if it's, it's based in 1973 or if it's based in the future, all those things are like key elements that you will find in your script. Once you find that, for me, I go and I Google, I Pinterest, I order books. I actually get newspapers. Like I did a TV show called True Detective Season 3, and it was based in the 80s. I actually went and got old prom and high school uh, uh, pictures from Arkansas where they were from because even regions sometimes have a different type of hairstyle. Same period, but if you know the regions, the reasons can change because, you know, they say the South is a little bit more country or more laid back and slower. So sometimes if you go to New York and look at the New York pictures, they're a little more different than the ones that are in the South. So it's very important to be able to take your time, break that script down, see the dream sequences or the flashbacks or whatever, and make sure because 90% of the time they're, they're, most writers are very specific about that time period, especially to give that mm, to that script so you can be able to be able to create because what I've seen over the years, the hair will tell the story quicker than anything. So that's what I do. I, I just break it down and I go from region, I break it into like seven categories of um, what's needed, male, female, region, uh, descent, uh, uh, period in itself. And I go from there, and I go and I get intensely into pictures and books and um, and even, like I said, newspaper clippings, anything that got any reference that you can use to that to those aesthetics, then, yeah, that's how I, I approach every show. 
even if it's the uh, the short film, especially if it's some any type of time frame or period, because when you see that thing, I want you to be able to say, oh, she in the 1970s. Oh, that's 63. I've studied so much um, as far as shapes and uh, and looks of film, I can tell you almost to the exact year. I've been doing it so long, but I've made it myself a committed one to really know that. So when I get into reading, I don't have to veer too far from what I already know. Right. So yeah, I'm intense. I, look, the people that I work with, they be like, wow, okay. Right, right. <laughs> they can, they can yeah, okay. vouch for me because they be like, I come in that thing, I have 72 books stacked up. I have so many sticky notes. I be like, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. But then, you know, then you have to just deal with what the actor's hair say and, you know, have to play into what the director want and all that other stuff. So, you know, but, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> you, made, you made a great point when you talked about not only periods but regions. And like you said, it could be the same time period but different regions. And you've experienced that and we've experienced that. Um, both of us all working on Till, Emmett Till projects. Um, you, woman of the of the movement, I'm sure you mm-hmm. experienced that with that with Mississippi and Chicago. Uh huh. Um, yes, we did in the 40s. Tell me a little bit about women of the movement, and I know you on that particular project you were the department head. Talk a little bit about that whole process. Yes, um, when I got the call to do um, uh, the women of the movement. Um, it was so crazy because they actually didn't hire me to like a week and a half before the show started. So mm. I'm grateful. I'm from Louisiana. So I know Emmett's story. So I knew who Mamie was. I knew who Emmett was. And I knew some of the playing people in it. So I immediately got to uh, researching. And the grateful part about it, being that it's a historical, um, you know, story, I was able to find a lot of up-to-date photos of, you know, them in their raw, raw element. And I literally had three days, four days of prep for this series. Yeah. Wow. They did me, they did me dirty. I couldn't even, <laughs> I didn't even have time to get any, any of those wigs are not custom. I customized them myself. And uh, yeah, I didn't have no time because, you know, it takes at least uh, a good three to seven weeks to make a custom lace, full lace for anybody. And the young lady that played Mamie for us, Adrian Warren, had hair like a lion. <laughs> she had lion hair. And I remember coming in this trench. I looked at her picture, and I, she had a picture with her hair slicked back. But then when she came in the trailer, you know, she was in her natural state. And I was just like, okay, God, please, if you love me, because <laughs> I have taken, taken on this job, please allow one of these wigs to fit because we wasn't able to do anything. But I went in, found some wigs um, from a local uh, hair store in Atlanta, Beauty Masters. Shout out to Beauty Masters because they saved us. And I was (laughs) able to customize, and thank God she had a small head. And I went in, shaped those wigs, and for her, the young lady that played her mom, the other um, sisters and the cousins and the uh, aunties, I had to do all that stuff last minute. I literally, me and my team, Joyce um, Gilliard and um, Angela Renee Dyson, they were my core group, and we literally curled, I think, probably 80 wigs in four days. 
to be able to start mm. that show. <laughs> and load in. Remind you, we have to load in and do all, and get the boys ready. All of them came in because you know how these young men grow their hair out and have the size paper, but, you know, they didn't rock that back in the um, right. uh, 30s and 40s. So we had to even do haircuts on top of that. It was a very challenging but most rewarding because once we seen how they looked actually on the picture, it was in our best to be able to push that real look. So when you seen their hair shape, one guy that played one of the lawyers, he had the same quirkiness of the original guy, and I made sure he allowed me to texture his hair like that guy hair because he had a lot of, uh, you can tell from the photos, he had a lot of cowlicks. And this young man that they sent, he had very straight hair, but he allowed me to cut and texturize his hair to where it could look wild and kind of textury just like his. So it was, a, it, was, it was a lot of work put into it, and we literally had to build every day each episode to make sure that these people look in the courtroom episode for us um, we ended up uh, not having the proper amount of uh, help because Joyce ended up having to go back home. Uh, me and Angela ended up having to run literally. I had to do all 35 actors every day for the two weeks of our shooting of the courtroom scene. And mm-hmm. literally I had to do all 34, I mean 35 of them. And Angela held down set and rocked that thing for me, and I had to show the ADs actually how to shoot, to be block shoot it, to be able to make sure that I was able to get everybody done before they did the big wide at the end of the day. And we did that for two weeks and still made it work. And the ADs was excited that I was able to, because you remember, we were still in COVID lockdown situation. Right. So I didn't even have time to, yeah, that was doing COVID, COVID lockdown. We literally... Uh, didn't have no time to call or fly nobody in because she had to leave that Sunday night, and we started the courtroom scene on that Monday. And But I had so many concoctions lined up. I had uh, <laughs> literally made, like, different types of grids of how the part on this side flick back. Because, you know, from looking for the research of the real um, – uh, real photos, that's what they did anyway because it was so hot back then. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, Using that gotta be jail. Uh, I use uh, gotta be jail, a mixture of gotta be jail, uh, uh, water, and the trimmers and the number forty finishes. Girl, that was my best friend. That whole concoction, and me and Angela rocked that thing out until Joyce was able to come back. And yeah, that was a lot on that period show. That was a lot, but we rocked it. We did every tool we could use, and we got it done. How long do you think it took you to do, like, since you had, like, you say 35 people, how long do you think it took you to do the men? Oh, the men was, once I got the haircuts done, like, on a daily basis, because after that first week was the hardest, but Mm -hmm. I would say literally to style each one of those men, I would say four minutes. Okay. I had them down to four minutes, literally, and I take them out of my chair, send them down to Angela Shield. Uh, use the diffuser, lock that hair in. It was like an assembly line. <laughs> if you would have seen yeah. it, I wish I could have recorded it. Because I still think we, me and her laugh and talk about it right now because uh, that was like one of the most unique situations um, I've ever experienced um, on set. 
carrying the wow. department because, you know, being that I was the department head, I I couldn't let it sink because the hair, like yeah. I said, the hair was the most realistic part on it. So, but if you look at the show, if you ever look at the show and look at episode six, <laughs> well, really five and six, you really can't tell the difference. You would have never knew unless I told you this little story that I just told. <laughs> I've never told it on a platform before. Y'all are the first to hear that. But me and Angela didn't laugh about it to this day. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that's that's yeah. tough. Oh, yeah. It was tough. <laughs> My arm is still suffering from it to this day. <laughs> I'm serious. I go and, and get... Uh, certain types of what you call it on his shoulder, but it was a lot. But that show was so dear to me because it's the first time Mamie's and Emmett's story was being told, and then to be on a platform of ABC, I dare not let mm-hmm. our culture not be represented correctly. I didn't want any wonky wigs. I didn't want anything that was not true to the period and true to this right. this family to this family. And I still feel like. That show was a beneficial part of the breakthrough of them finally passing that bill for Mamie, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 took, I took it serious because a lot of people hit me up and emailed me and stuff like that after it aired, you know, each episode. And I love that ABC went behind us and placed, you know, the real facts about what happened. And it turned some hearts. And it finally got the recognition for that family that needed. And that was my prayer before I even got the job, I had seen the job. I had seen it post that they were going to finally tell the story. And I said, God, if it ain't me, please, God, let the right person get it because I don't want no jacked up wigs and they can't mm-hmm. hear his story or Mamie's story. They're going to be looking at them horrible wigs. I said, Lord, I mm-hmm. really would take it. I said, but it's because I didn't know any of the producers or anything. So I didn't know, but I gave it the power of prayer because guess what? It came to me. And when I asked the producer, I said, sir, if you don't mind, because I never worked with the, 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 the showrunner or any of them. And he said, yeah, your name came up seven times. I said, oh, completion. Come on, daddy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I was grateful because it was a lot of challenges. Even being in the city of Greenwood, they told us not to even uh, post or say anything that we were there, even when we talked to people, because Still to this day in 2023, that's a very touchy thing in Greenwood, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. we actually shot at the real, we shot at the real courtroom in Money, Mississippi, and a young man mm-hmm. came on set with a gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had to lock, they had to lock set down. A young man walked up with a gun and said, why y'all want to shoot this thing? Y'all should be tired of telling this story. So, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. You know that's that's crazy because we we the movie till we didn't shoot any of it in Mississippi or Chicago we shot it all in Georgia and there were mm-hmm. parts of Georgia parts of Georgia um, that Emmett probably never stepped foot in and they didn't want us there shooting uh-huh. that movie and that crazy so you can mm-hmm. only imagine the tension. Because we have to pass by the actual store, the, you know, the the parts that's left up of it, and they have, like, the marquees in front of We have to pass it to go to set a lot of times. And you can see where the gun holes, where they shot, they shoot up, they shot up the, the marquees and stuff. It, it was, it's still a lot. And that was just in, what, 20, <laughs> that was, that just happened, 2021, 20, 2020, 
one, yeah, 2021. Wow. Yeah. The things that people don't know that we go through to make movies. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And TV, we go through a lot. It's a lot. It carries a burden on you, especially when it's like like that story, a real story that's based on a family. And I wanted to honor that family, and I feel like I did. I didn't get any backlash. Um, I actually did get a couple good jobs from it. (laughs) I got some great exposure, but I feel like I honored that family to the best of my ability, being a department head. Yeah. It it definitely was... um, a story that needed to be told, it had to be told. But it, yes. it, it, you know, going into it, I never thought it would affect me the way that it did. Uh, you know, it, yes. you know, going into it, when I was asked to do the movie, I thought, oh my God, this is great. This will be my first um, department head on a period piece. And what better period piece? Like, I, you know, I've I've always heard the story, and so I wanted to go like go a little deeper into what really happened with the story because, of mm-hmm. course, it all happened long before I was born. But, you know, I really wanted I really wanted to do it. And I was like, of course, I have to do it right. You know, it's got to be right. Yes. And so, you know, it, it, it just, just going into the story. And, and we had such a great actress as Mamie yes. Hill with uh, Danielle Deadwallet. Like, yes. this woman, I mean, every single day, like she in every single scene, you know, take after take after take, she cried fresh tears each time. And yes. and you know, watching her do her job, it's like okay, you know, she's great, she's doing her job. But over time, when she continues to do that, and you and you're you're, you're in it, you're in the story, you know, you know what's going on. You hear her, you hear lines, you hear her wailing. And it's like yeah. after a while, it affects you. There were times that I would go up to her, you know, to see if she needed tissue and, and, and tears, snot, I mean, from me. Like I, there were times she had to stop me from trying to give her tissue and she had to hold my hand to control yeah. my tears, you know. So it's like <sighs> a lot of times, you know, we're, we're in it and we don't really know how it's going to affect us. Exactly. But it does. It does every time if you're serious of, about it, especially those types of stories. But those are the types of projects I want to work on, though. Yeah. I've been fortunate. I can say I've worked on Respect, which was one that was dear to me. Um, I, I, I feel like I've been getting pushed into these, <laughs> these period worlds, especially African-American uh, culture period films. And I'm very grateful because it's a, it's a skilled um, type of um, creation for me because back then those ladies and those men took a lot of time and pride in how they looked, especially in the African-American culture because, you know, we were looked down upon and treated unfairly. Much hasn't changed now. It's just kind of dressed up a little bit more. But it was a lot of um, – it, it, it built – people up when they took that one dress because that's all they had and they made sure that it was clean. They made sure that it was pressed. They made sure that their hair was done. They would take strips of paper and roll their hair when they didn't have curling irons and different things and we made it work and we made it look great. Even now we still do that but that's why I just take so, and I'm grateful. I love period. Like period is like my fate. Any type of period I was exposed to 
the 1800s for the first time when I did emancipation, but that was something that I always desired to do. And even with that story of a lot of those kids from in New Orleans had hair, you know, coming out of the COVID because we were still up under those um, restrictions of a lot of things. So a lot of people didn't cut their hair, but that's another part of the research that I was trying to break it down even to my team that, you know, we have to make them look like they're malnourished. You wouldn't have this much hair um, if you were a slave um, in those times because you didn't have enough nutrients to even let your hair even grow like that. That's why most of the time the slaves look like what they look like. So how do you make a kid that has all this beautiful 4T hair that's four, five, six, seven, ten 10 inches long and to looking like it's plucked out, ate out, mashed up, or they didn't use a comb. And mm-hmm. I had to come up with tech. I had to come up with techniques to pin it down because that's the other thing. Those kids weren't willing to cut their hair, and right. they didn't. And they didn't. But I showed my team how to make four inches, four to eight inches of natural curly hair look like it's literally packed to your scalp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So those are the little details of, you know, research that you have to pay attention to more so when we were talking about just regions. You have to think about the time period. They, those slaves wouldn't have had combs, especially right. if they, were in a, they was in a camp. They're not pulling out their luggage, bringing it to the camp where they're enslaved. So <laughs> we have to really literally make them look like they have been there. And a lot of those kids, they came ready. They allowed me to put a lot of that fake dirt. I had to make hair pieces to lay across the edges. And, yeah, wigs for the doubles. Uh, the Will's double, young man, um, I love him to death, but the wig maker, um, Will's people had Will's wig made for the double because I had to end up doing him because, you know, Will had his own personal or whatever, and his personal didn't do um, didn't do the stunt guy because of, you know, being happened to be with Will all the time. So here I trust this particular wig maker because Will people trust this. But why the wig maker did not make the wig fit the young man's hair? We sent the measurements and everything, and he pulled a number on us. That's why you have to trust your wig maker and get some good wig makers. Why the wig, I put the wig on the man's head after the production and pay thousands of dollars to get this wig made. Of course. And guess how, <laughs> and guess how far the wig come down on this man's head? It hit the back <laughs> part of his occipital bone. It didn't even come down to his nape. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So this is going to be one of these shows, huh? I was like, okay, God, you're funny. But I ended up literally thanking God that I am that person that know how to make pieces and stuff like that and take trainings, you know, and teach myself and push myself because I was able to make a seamless piece on the back to extend it to fit that young man's neckline because that's what I was telling the production because at first they didn't even want to pay for a wig. It's like, well, he's just a double. I said, sweetie, he. They're going to see the double more than they're going to see Will. Do you think Will is really going to be running in this nasty water the whole show? Right, right. right. <laughs> you really think you're going to have this A-lister running through this? Even though he did a lot of his stuff. I'm not going to lie. Will did great. Like, he really he really committed. But his double did have to do a lot. And if you ever get a chance to watch the film, you will see those shots in the back of his head. That was his double. And that was my work. And you would have never known that that piece 
did not come from the original wig maker. I hand-stitched all that hair into that piece and made that piece work. Mm. Wow. And he had to get in the yeah. water. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> now, yeah. with all that, being, all that being said, and, I, and I'm hoping that there are some hairstylists that are out there listening to what you're saying right now because <clears throat> what I want to ask you is, you know, what kind of advice would you give to hairstylists who are interested in being in the industry? But, you know, some hairstylists, and even makeup artists as well, they don't think about, you know, oh, I do hair, I do makeup. They're not thinking about, okay, I may have to do something from the early 1800s or or early 1900s, rather, or, or you know, 1960s, you know, in their mind they're thinking current day, which is its own period in itself. But mm-hmm. what would you tell someone and what would you tell them they need to know? Because it's a lot of stuff out there. Yes, you can do hair. You have a cosmetology license. But mm-hmm. there are so many extra things that you need to know, steps that you need to be able to take um, to get to a level where you are today they really need to be doing some of the things that you just said you did. Like you have to be able to think quickly on your feet and uh-huh. not only think, not only think, but to be able to work quickly and turn some of those mistakes around quickly. Mm-hmm. Or changes what would, that's needed. Or, sometimes or the change, director it, or say, change it all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or change say, it all oh, together. You know, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted, but you know what? I don't want that. And then what are you going to do? Yep. <laughs> you have to change exactly. <laughs> so what, what so kind of advice I would, say, would you give? I would say um, those, especially those that tune in um, later and listen to this as well, I would say try to take as many trainings as for structural learning uh, curling techniques. And the blessed part about we all carry a nice computer in our hand every day that we communicate on. There's mm-hmm. no reason for you not to have access to anything at this point. Uh, YouTube yep. has its own little creation. You know, Pinterest have it. All these different Googles, you have people, Instagram, people are doing great things. Look at the hashtags of hair and hairstyle or period hairstyle. People are really showing, uh, like for me, I studied people that are abroad, uh, off, and I got introduced to them off of um, IG. Uh, some of the academies that's in London. Some of the academies yeah. are in yeah. Australia. I yeah. still to this day, even though I'm 16 years in, department head this and Emmy nominated, all this stuff, I still research and I still, every day, it's just not a day that I don't go by that I'm not looking at some type of video of some sort. Because not only are you going to learn something that you can use as a little quick trick or or something that you can shape and change or do a quick change or something that's pretty that you never even thought that can be. You can also learn what not to do, which is right. what right. Will really save you. Because <laughs> sometimes I see a lot of stuff on YouTube and all that stuff, and you're like, okay, that makes no sense. Why would I gel somebody's hair down, put a stocking cap on it, and then use glue and glue on top of it? Do you really think that stocking cap is stopping that glue from going into your hair? <laughs> mm, that's just common sense, you would think. But people do it every day because they've seen somebody else do it. But you have to be, right. like you said, quick on your feet and understand how does glue work? How does curling this way work? I have always been that person to take, uh, get my mannequins and try a wand this way, and then I try it this way. Then I'll 
take another section. Okay, how to do this? How can I make this even quicker? I always time myself. And I would tell them, yeah, research, get your books, buy books, and don't always, especially if you're trying to enter in TV and film, know that you're going to do flashback and have period work. So start at a at pictures that's 1950s. Look at the shapes, knowing the shapes. Start playing around with trying to get that shape because that's the biggest thing because most of the time you're not going to come into the industry and jump to a department head or a a key position or even a third. Some people do, bless their heart. <laughs> but you would want to try to day play and be a day player um, on TV and film to try to get the experience and try to see how uh, how film sets work, especially on big days uh, with a lot of background artists are working. And that's when you get your experience. And paying attention to other hairstylists that are next to you. Because I tell people all the time when they come on set, because a lot of times I've heard in Atlanta, I hated that I heard that, but it really vexed me because, I, like I said, I started my in, uh, career off in Louisiana, that they were saying, oh, I don't do background. I don't do background. I'm like, sweetie, I'm, I, I'm in department head, <laughs> million-dollar films, and I love doing right. background because, for me, all that do is make me sharpen my skill set. Exactly. So why mm-hmm. wouldn't I take an opportunity because it's not a department head or a key? Are you serious? First of all, the check cash, bango. That's Second right. of all, mm-hmm. it's giving me an opportunity to do 15 different people besides that one actress. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, if you're in that trailer, you're assigned to one, two, three, maybe four actors sometimes. It all depends on how big the show is. And then you miss right. out on an opportunity to do 12 different textures, 12 different looks. 12 different opportunities. You feel me? Then mm-hmm. you're working around other department heads that you don't know that's department head, or they may be a key on another show that they may see your work and say, you know what? I remember this girl that worked next to me that was really quick on her feet, and she had a great attitude, and she went in there, and they told her to change it, and she didn't get mad and go over there and talk about the department head or the key saying they can't stand my work instead of just taking it down and doing it correctly. Okay, don't mm-hmm. make instructions. Mm-hmm. Hello, and yeah. fix it. And there she go, got a job and got another connect, able to network, or she'll transfer or pass her name to her friend that's somewhere else because she said, "Oh, I remember this girl." But if you're not doing the work, cause that's my motto of my company, um, on a B production, uh, that let your work speak for you. I preach that. And if you're proud of your work, your work is gonna say what it needs to say. And you, and it's all on you. Anytime you want to go to level, because you can't make me believe that me coming from the small city that I am and that I have the type of connects and the opportunities that I had that somebody else can't have them. They can. Because if it can happen for me, it can happen for you. But you can't right. put, you can't get something from nothing. You have to put in the work. And if you put something in, I expect it to come back. And it always has. But I always put that on myself to make sure I don't care if it's me doing the background artist or if I'm doing the number one on the show, that I'm going to make sure I put the best effort to create this character because that's my love is character development. When I'm reading the script, I go into my own little world and seeing it, how I see it. That's why I be telling the director, baby, you come back and tell me how you want to because Mona that already put in her head how she thinks they're going to look. But I need to know your look. 
Because I go into my own little fairy tales because I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I love stories, and I love to make stories. I create stories myself. So I have to make sure that I even come back to, okay, who, who, who show is this? Oh, this is this director's show. Let me get over here and make sure that I give the best, you know, the best representation of this particular uh, act, right. uh, director's look or the showrunner because sometimes they don't know. And then that's when you're, it's up to you as a, the artist or the expert to be able to bring those types of things to them and say, you know, when I read it, I kind of seen it like this a little bit. What do you think about this? And if they say no, that's fine, too. But a lot of people get in their feelings. But I don't because I know how I am about stuff that I see and how I want it. And so I have the utmost respect for people in their craft. So if I know this writer then wrote this in, that could have been something very personal, and I'm sitting there saying it's obsolete to me, but I don't really know why. You know what I'm saying? That's wrong. So right. if you're allowing yourself to just go with the flow and see what's the best character development as a whole, because, you know, just like you say, costumes is involved, hair, or makeup is involved, hair is involved. I call us the heartbeat of a show because we make yeah. the characters come off, come off the paper. So for us as a group, once we play on, because that's why sometimes I be, when the director like, you just do whatever you want. And the first thing I say, what's she finna wear? I go over there in costume. Hey, baby. Hey, sweetie. Can you show me what she's going to put on? Then that gives me that motivation. Should I wear it up? Because she's wearing a high neckline. Is she, should I put it on one side? Because she got one shoulder. You know, those kind of things, too, go into developing a character as well. Is they fighting later? Is she a crackhead? Is she, you know, um, a high-end uh, madam? All those things. And that's why I love making film. That's why I love doing what I do because of character development. It, it allows me to go from one range of the spectrum all the way to infinity and beyond <laughs> because right. it's so many things that you can do to make these characters come off the tape, you know, off the um, page. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we have a caller from Louisiana, so I'm going to bring them on the line. Okay. Hello? Hello? Hello, caller? Okay, maybe they don't want to talk. Maybe they just... Maybe they they butt dial. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, they had, their, they had their hand. They had their hand raised, so I oh, thought okay. they wanted to speak. Okay. okay. Well, we'll just move on. But <laughs> um, that was a great explanation. Um, it's a it's a lot to to, to do, and just like you said, um, there are hairstylists and there are makeup artists. And then there are mm-hmm. hairstylists and makeup artists who are filmmakers, and it is it is a difference. But whatever yeah. you you know, whatever you are, regardless, the position requires for people to really know a lot. Give it, yeah, know a lot and, and give it quickly. Yep, and give mm-hmm. it and and move quickly. Be able to think fast and be a, just be a thinker in general. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it just it requires a lot. This is not, um, you know, it's not a game. And, it's, you know, here in Georgia, it's a lot of work going on, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean, okay, I'm a hairstylist, I'm a makeup artist, it's a lot of work, I can jump on these jobs. But 
you you have people who come with their A game at all times, and you may see some of them working on stuff all the time. And why? It's because they bring something that's special mm-hmm. every time they come. Yep. So mm-hmm. right, that's what you have to. That's what you have to get to. Um, you know, in your career, and study your craft at all times. At all right. times, no matter yeah. how far you are in it. That's mm-hmm. right. Let me let me let me ask you this, Mona, because we didn't we didn't touch on this, and I would love to know, like, how um, important is it for you to work as a team, like with with like the makeup department or the costumes department, or, or you know, or both, like the three departments oh, working together. Just talk a little bit about it. It's very important, especially on yes, the period project. Yes, it's very important because just like I said, if I want to do this fabulous hairstyle that's down. And she got on this beautiful piece that's coming up around her neck. Guess what? You just <laughs> peed on the porch of the costume designer. And right. you're doing a disservice to the look of that character. So a lot of times, and I've been in situations to where it hasn't been a cohesive, uh, you know, joint venture of hair, makeup, and costumes. Mm-hmm. I've had it. I've been on shows where all three departments, did not work together, and it was a mess. But I've also yeah. been on a show where all three worked together and everybody was willing to do what was needed to make this character come to life, and those are the shows that I love. And I always go in with the best foot forward to make sure with the costume design, see what they're trying to pull, reading the script, hearing what the director or the showrunner is saying, and vibe off of that. When makeup needs to take this off or make them old age and these types of things, what can I do to help hide certain creases or, you know, be able to implement some of the movie magic that we have to do that's behind the scenes? I'm down because, like, for Lovecraft, I had never did work really intensely with special uh, effects, and they needed to make these zombies and monsters and heads spashing and busting stuff, and I had to literally go to the guy and say, okay, so you want her head to look like it's been split open from the top. So it's 1800s, her character got kidnapped in. So now I have to shape her normal because they showed her normal too and they were going to show her when she was a monster. So I had to make a sh- come up with a hairstyle that worked cohesively with the makeup, with the special effects makeup. And so when you see it, it literally looked like, she got kidnapped that day, and this is what this man did to her later. And it had to read correctly. So I feel like it's very important that each department really respect each other's craft and be on the same page of making sure that the character is developed properly. You know, I really do. And it bothers me when there are people that, like, really be in their own way and full of ego, oh, this is not my, I, I've been doing makeup 32 years, and I've been doing hair, bruh, we just need you to fix this little character the way that these people invented this is not your baby. Get over yourself. You want to make something on your own, I, 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 then you do your own stuff by yourself. You make your own script, get your own little production money, and do it like that, because I, I don't like people like that. That drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know we are out of time, but I have two more questions. Do, do you mind staying on? Oh, no, 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 no. 
know. Come on, baby. You know I'm here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just have two more questions. I am good. Um, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about how you think the industry has changed since you first started in the business. Oh, ho-ho. <laughs> yes, it has <laughs> dramatically changed. In, in a sense where I'm so grateful that I got in when I got in because, mm-hmm. like I said, the, per, the first guy I worked with was just one of the gatekeepers that was one of the first African-American male hairstylists in TV and film. So to work under him starting off and learning, you know, the old school ways, I would say, it made me a better structured hairstylist in TV and film and knowing protocol and knowing um, – uh, how things process and respecting the craft in itself and things of that nature, the little things that um, have a set, great set etiquette and um, understanding terminology and, and respecting your team and your teammates and helping, it made such a difference because now it has changed, especially like I would say in this Atlanta market because I've worked all over, but I've been here um, working a little bit more within the last few years, because normally I'm gone, but I was able to do a, lot, a few shows that were TV shows that kept me rooted here, so I was able to work a little more closer with a lot more Atlanta hairstylists. And it just, and it hurt my heart on a lot of them because I could see the potential of the great work if they just got out of their own way. A lot of them did things, that do things that are very spiteful, and intentional when it don't have to because people seem to allow their ego to carry. And I think that's what a downfall is. People just get back to loving the craft, being great teammates and team players and developing and working together to be able to have a great project that you can be proud of when you go and tell your friends to go watch it. You know, you can be proud of it. But I've seen so many changes, not just even with just hairstyles, but even how production works as well. Yeah. Like, even with that aspect and how, you know, a lot of people take these positions and can think they can down-talk people because they're PA or are they, I don't like some of that as well. And I just feel like if we could just go back and just treat people how you want to be treated, respect each other's craft, and then be open to correction, you know, because there are some people that know more than you, and sometimes they can share certain things and always be open to that and having a great attitude and, and you know, personality. I ain't saying you got to be nobody's new best friend and shoo-shooing and kiss and tell because, big, big, I can't stand that either. <laughs> don't come shoo-shooing me because I don't need you to go get my coffee because I'm the department head or I'm the key. Don't do that. No, and don't right. even start that foolishness. But when you start that foolishness with an e- egomaniac, you can set yourself up for failure. You come there to work. Right. You come there to do a job. And that job is specifically, especially if you're in the third, fourth, or additional categories, you're there to serve the background or additional uh, hair, uh, additional actor or whatever. But you follow that instruction and deal with that. You come there to do hair. You didn't come there to make new best friends. You didn't come there to be ugly and treat people crazy and, and, and don't, you know, have a, a basic appreciation of other people and what they have to offer to this craft in your presence. I think that's a disservice that so many people are, oh, I got to do this, or I got to flash out and do all this. 
and you ain't even following directions, then you get mad because other people that kicking and laughing because you didn't do because you're trying to show out. Stay in your lane, baby. It's okay. Just mm-hmm. it's okay to just be right there and be who you are. Just mm, just come on in. <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen a major. I've seen a major change in. Yeah, sometimes it makes me say, do I really want to do this sometimes? But the characters draw me back out into this beautiful abyss of creativity, and I come right on back after doing 12 to 15 hours every day for six months, and I'm like, man, I'm ready to stop this. But then somebody calls, oh, mom, I got this great script, and then you read the script, and then I can see, because when I read a script and I can see it when I'm reading it, I know that yeah. that that's for me. I know I can do it. Yeah. You read the script and you fall in love all over again. Yes, <laughs> all over with this thing because you already know, especially on period stuff because, you know, we did Color yeah. Purple. Girl, when I tell you we started Color Purple way on Jekyll Island and then mm-hmm. we worked our way back to Atlanta, we went from Jekyll mm-hmm. Island to Savannah, Savannah to Macon, Macon to some other little city in between, and then did the rest Going up the road. on states. Yes, and girl, we lived out of suitcases for at least two and a half months. It was a <laughs> lot, and then being out of there in the bugs, the no seams, and all that. Yep. But to even see, but just to even to see the trailer now, you know, it was definitely worth it, and. I thank Lawrence. I was a key on there. I thank Lawrence Davis for even asking me and wanting me to be a part of his um, core group because I started not to because I had just finished Emancipation and I was tired. That was one of the hardest shows. Lord Jesus, it was 120 degrees every day for, mm-hmm. I know, for three and a half months. And I was just like, you know what? I'm good. And he was like, no, mm-hmm. man, I can't do this without you. And you got to do it for the culture. I said, no, oh, you're going to put the culture in this thing. <laughs> and I said, okay, but I'm happy that I did. It was another, it was a busy one, but it was a good one. All the laughing and dancing had some of the great, great actresses and actors that were very receptive. Mm-hmm. It was hard. But when you have a group of good people and my core group with Angela, Dyson, Jorge Armando, uh, Maurice, and myself, and I had a, quite a few um, other additionals that, really came and rocked it out for us every opportunity and we made some magic and I can't wait for you guys to December 25th of this year. That's one I'm looking forward to and I'm like, I'm so glad I did do it, Jesus, because this day is going to be killed. He killed. Look, you know, we, you know we know about some um, mosquitoes and some no seams out there on Jekyll <laughs> Island and Savannah. <laughs> it ain't no joke. Girl, I was like, I mean, look, bro. <laughs> we used to be in Savannah with our hoodies and the drawstring yes. pulled so tight on our hoodies, all you could see were our eyes <laughs> in the summertime. I'm just saying, it don't even matter what time of year it is. Bad, <laughs> I know that life all too well because that's the other part people don't really understand. I try to tell people, you think. It's glitz and glamour because you see these red carpets and you feel that these award shows and all this kind of stuff. But they, they, if they out there in the trenches, we out there in them trenches too. So yep, just know, right. you better get you some boots, some good rain boots, and get you some good jackets because you're going to freeze or you're going to almost die of uh, heat deprivation, all that. Because it's a lot. It's a lot. It ain't no joke. It ain't big, big. It's a lot. And it ain't made for everybody. It ain't made for the faint of heart. 
It's not. Uh-uh. <laughs> so true. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, final question, Ms. Mona, is what, yes, is your definition of, what is your definition of beauty? Oh, my definition <laughs> of beauty. Because, uh, see, most people look at physical. I don't. I feel like beauty is your true representation of yourself and loving yourself of who you are inside and out. That's my definition. Beautiful. Just like with success. Most people have a definition of success. And I tell people, as long as you know what your definition is and you live and honor that, that's the same way I feel about beauty. If you really love yourself and you know who you are and who you are and allow yourself to evolve into the best version of yourself, that's that's when you know true beauty and it pours out of you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love it. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Well, thank you so much. I can't believe you were on our show. <laughs> Girl, I am so grateful to have been got this call, baby. Anytime you speak to these little dynamic duos, I don't know if y'all know about the dynamic duo twin sisters, baby, but they are they are the truth, okay? And thank you, ladies, both for even having me on. And I just appreciate y'all time and appreciate what you guys are doing and giving people a platform to even speak about what they do and to be able to emphasize of, you know, how important beauty is and knowing the different things that you need to do to be a part of this industry as well. And before you go, thank you so much for saying that. Before you go, I know you have a class tomorrow. I don't know if it's too late for people to attend, but can you just announce it anyway? Yes, I'm actually I'm doing a series of master classes um, each week. Tomorrow is the first in-person class on um, uh, Welcome to Set, which will be trainings about set etiquette, um, about uh, set lingo, uh, reading a call sheet, those type of things, and basic understanding of research and prep and all that kind of layman's work uh, tomorrow. Eight six twenty three at one o'clock to four thirty. But each week, if you follow me on Instagram, Andrea Mona B, or Facebook, Andrea Mona Bowman, you can see the other dates as well. It's not too late to take those. Um, but it'll be every Sunday for the virtual, and every Monday for the in-person class. And if you're um, able to just DM me. I will definitely get back with you if you're interested in getting to know. And it's not just for hairstylists. It's for makeup artists as well because I know some makeup artists have to do hair sometimes, especially on the uh, lower budget films and stuff. So yeah. I'm teaching tricks for the trades that can be able to help you be able to, um, you know, develop some different skills. And the in-person class is in Atlanta only as of now, but um, that's another thing. Mona B Productions will be doing other presents in other cities as well coming up in the, the next few months or so as well. But just be in because I got all the information, but it goes from next for the whole month of August. Okay. Can, you, can, you, can you email me that so that each week I can, you know, I can kind of put that oh. out there in our meeting Okay. Oh, yes, I would love that. Thank you so much because I'm trying to get the information out there to as many people as they can because I feel like education is the key, especially in this business, because the more you know, it will make sure that you're sharpening your skills to be able to be a good benefit to any department. 
Yes, and we have downtime so, right now, so we want to go use it educating ourselves. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you, Mona. Again, we greatly appreciate you. Um, pray that everything goes well with your class tomorrow. And hopefully we'll be together on a set together sometime in the near, near future. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much again, you guys. Love you. All right. Love love you too. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. We greatly appreciate it. We greatly appreciate Ms. Andrea Mona Bowman. Um, for stopping by tonight and sharing a little bit of her journey with us. Um, She's worked on some great projects, um, Emancipation, uh, what did she say, Emancipation, Aretha, um, Lovecraft Country, um, Women of the Movement, the the Till one, um, and so many more. You can check her out on IMDb if you want to know a list of her projects that she's worked on. But she's an amazing hairstylist, and if you are a hairstylist out there and really want to learn some tricks of the trade and what you need to know to um, be able to work in this industry, she's a great person to learn from. Follow her on social media. Follow um, um, her on social media, and you can see the list of her classes and the dates. All right. and really quickly, really quickly, I would like to the that news that I had earlier. I wanted to just read that off really quickly. Um, esthetician Joelle Lee, she's a um, skincare expert for women for women of color, and she's having a uh, two day training in Toronto. So if we have listeners in Toronto who's interested in um, learning more about um, skin for women of color. Um, Esthetician Joe Lee will be there live and in person September 24th through 25th. Uh, on that Saturday, she has an evening networking uh, Etsy mixer from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at Moxie's Restaurant, which is near the Toronto airport. And uh, the first day, Sunday, day one, is Skin of Color 101 from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and that's being held at the Residence Inn at the Toronto airport. Day two, Monday, elevate your aesthetics business, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the residence in, in Toronto. Uh, you can secure your seat for $249. You can go to joellee.com. That's J-O-E-L-L-E-L-E-E.com, joellee.com. Again, you can secure your seat for $249. All right. Thank you so much for that. Again, thank you guys for tuning in tonight. We greatly appreciate it. Another big thank you to Andrea Bowman and for all of those who will listen on the playback. We greatly appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful evening, everyone, and have a beautiful and blessed week. Good night. Good night.